Okay, so our um, text this morning is in Isaiah chapter 9, if you will turn with me there to Isaiah chapter 9. I'll be reading verses 6 and 7. Okay, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Oh, dear Lord, we look forward to that day when you sit upon that throne, that day when you return and make right so much that has been made wrong. God, we look forward to that. And we thank you for the hope that we have here in this time while we await that. So I pray that you would use your servant, Paul, our pastor, to speak to us, to open this um, prophecy to us, to bless us with more hope and more peace than we've known. And Lord, we pray that by your presence, and by your speaking to us through your servant Paul, that you would touch our hearts and that our lives would be changed today by what you tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're all familiar with this text. I mean, it gets trotted out every Christmas, or, you know, you you always uh, encounter this. Although, actually, I preached on this text earlier this year when we were going through um, the covenants of God because this just um, certainly is a very covenantal text. But uh, today I don't really want to spend a lot of time expounding what this text says and what this prophecy predicts, as wonderful as it is. I just want to focus, as it were, on the first Line, which is, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Unto us a son is given. That's really what today's meditation is about. Um, you know, we, I, I've noticed driving around, you probably have too, we took Anne driving around Ukiah and all the, looking at the Christmas lights and everything, and it was all nice and so on. But I've noticed more and more that there's, there are less Christmas scenes, and it's just more Santa and Grinch and, you know, other things. Not that I don't like those things, because I do. But uh, there's definitely a toning down, isn't there, in the world of what Christmas is all about. It looks as though everybody in uh, the stores has been told to say happy holidays to you instead of Merry Christmas. And it's like, come on, guys. I mean, can't you give the Savior of the world 
at least a little bit of um, acknowledgement, even at this time of year, but no, this is the world. And uh, to them, it's just a time for buying presents. It's a, a traditional holiday. They get some days off. They eat some good food. There's some good things about it, but there's nothing really significant about it above Santa Claus and lights and presents. And that's terribly sad. Um, like I said, I really like all of that stuff. I didn't used to when I, was, when I lived on my own years ago. Uh, when I was a bachelor, it's like I didn't have a much time for it, apart from the food, of course. I had a lot of time for that. Um, but now, with kids and, and so on, it's, it's, it's a wonderful uh, time of year for them. And I get a lot of joy from just looking at Anne particularly um, and the way that she responds and so on. And hopefully we can... Um, we can put Christ into her Christmas where everybody else seems to take it out, take him out. But why, why is this text so important? Why is this time of year so important? Steve last week addressed this question, and I just want to look at it from this very narrow angle from this text. Unto us a son is given. When an ancient Jew would read this text, he would know exactly what was being referred to. He would know by reading just these two verses that this was talking about the promised one. This uh, was, to, was speaking about the one whom God was going to one day send into the world. And even though this prophecy was given 700 years before Jesus actually came, Jesus did come. He came in the fullness of time. He came at just the right time, the time that God had appointed. And it must have seemed to so many people in uh, the ancient world, with all of the to's and fro's of uh, you know, the history of Israel, all of the times of paganism and forgetting God and then uh, losses to greater armies, it must have seemed as though this prediction, this prophecy, it was just words on a page. It was just their religious writing. It was simply something that sounded good and gave a little bit of hope, lifted the spirit somewhat, but had no real connection with their lives, no connection with the reality that they were going through at all. And such can also be the way that we look at it. Because after all, we're looking further back on the uh, event of Jesus coming into the world than the readers of Isaiah, even in his day, were looking forward. It's been 2,000 years. So this is a historical event that we're talking about. Not something either that that was in like modern history like a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago when it would have seemed more real. You know, people would have drawn accurate pictures 
of things. And we'd have had a much more vivid idea of what this Christmas story was talking about. No, this hasn't happened 2,000 years ago. Back in the very, very distant past. And what has that got to do with us in the 21st century? What does that, um, what impact does that have on you and I today? Let's explore that quickly here. The first thing that I want to bring attention to is that for somebody in biblical times, whether they were from Israel or from other parts of the ancient world, this word son had particular connotations. It wasn't just like, oh, we're going to have a baby boy, somebody who's male, okay? That's, I mean, it's great to have a baby boy and it's great to have a baby girl and that's kind of as far as it goes for us nowadays, yes? Like, is it a girl? Is it a boy? Well, that's wonderful, whichever way. In the ancient world, to have a son was more than that. To have a son was to have an heir. To have a son was to have somebody who would carry on the family name the fam- and uh, inherit family property. Someone who would stand for the traditions of that family and uphold them. Someone, therefore, whom uh, the father and the mother would invest hopes for the continuing of their line. And so this idea of a son given to Israel is, uh, should be interpreted as a son given to continue not just the line of Mary and Joseph, which is David's line, it was an important one, but the the line of Israel, the people of Israel. The people of Israel have been going through quite a difficult time of, of late, have they not? And they are hated by uh, leftist media. They are disliked by uh, the propaganda that's been going around. They are the guilty party, in uh, supposedly, in what happened over there in, uh, in Israel. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a popular or uh, even a, a happy thing for us to talk about the hope of Israel. But this text is all about Israel's hope. Israel, as long as, uh, as, long as the reality of Jesus... And his birth is recognized. We have to recognize that Israel has a hope. Israel has an heir. Israel has someone to continue its name. You can't wipe Israel off the map, even though many people would like to. This is not a defense of of everything that Israel and the, the government of Israel has done. Of course it's not any more than it would be a defense of this, our government here, or any other government. But a son has been given to Israel, which guarantees that Israel will be a people before God. 
And it's important to understand it that way. This means more than a baby boy was born 2,000 years ago. This son carries on the hopes, uh, in his, on his shoulders, excuse me, the hopes, the aspirations, the salvation of the people of Israel. All of those prophecies to God's special people, they all converge on him. And he has come at the right time. And he will come again at the right time. Just as it seemed that uh, this prophecy would be lost as the days and the years clicked by and nothing happened and God didn't do anything and the sun never came, it might seem that way to us, waiting for the prophecies of the second coming to come about. But we have to be absolutely certain in this. Just as the Son has been given, the Son will come again. Malachi pictures it as uh, the Son of Righteousness with healing in his wings. But he's not just a Son for Israel. He's also a Son who is given by God our Creator to the whole world because this passage predicts that the government will be upon his shoulder his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace now folks you can't you can't restrict those titles to a tiny strip of land in the middle east he's not just going to be mighty God and Prince of Peace in Israel. He's going to be mighty God, Prince of Peace, and all of these other things throughout the whole world that he made. And the guarantee of it is that he's already come and he's already done the first part of his work in this world. He has come to die for our sins. And he has come to offer that salvation to each and every one of us who hears that message. And the greatest gift that we can receive is forgiveness of our sins, salvation from God, freely. A free gift that is offered Wiping your slate clean. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what guilt or guilty feelings you may harbor in your heart. What irreversible things you would like to go back and change, but you can't change. You can take all of those to this son. And he will take them all away. So that when you stand before God, as you will... At the end of this life, whenever your life ceases, he will not look at any sin that is upon you. And things that you want to bring up, what about this, what about that, I feel bad about this, he won't even recognize them. He, don't, he won't see your sin. Because 
of the gift of forgiveness. And the gift of forgiveness comes through the gift of the Son to the world. I'm so glad that the good news of the gospel is not confined to Israel. I'm glad that it came to me in the United Kingdom. I'm glad that it came to you in the United States. I'm glad that it still goes out and changes lives throughout the world. And may God take this message and touch hearts about the truth of the Son that's been given in this Christmas season, despite the fact that he doesn't appear very much in the decorations that we see all around us. Jesus is a son that's been given to the whole world, which means he's been given to you. But just like any gift, you have to receive him. You have to take it. You have to, as it were, hold out your hand and actually take the thing. Now, this gift is not wrapped in any kind of special paper with a bow on it. It's not something that you can touch tangibly at all, but it is the most real thing that can happen to you. It is the gift that wipes your slate clean and that delivers to you the Holy Spirit of God. He comes as a gift of God to reside in you, to guarantee to you that you will be raised gloriously, that you will have eternal life. Look what it says here at the, uh, the end of verse 7. It says that he's going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, from the time that he comes again, even, what's the next word? Are you looking at the text? Forever! Forever. You have been given a gift if you've received salvation through this son that lasts forever. Lasts beyond the difficulties and the problems and the vicissitudes of this life. You like that word? Vicissitudes means changes. You've been given a gift that guarantees a wonderful and blessed and tranquil future for you. A son has been given 2,000 years ago for you. Have you received that gift? God can't give any better a gift than that, do you know? But I'm getting ahead of myself. The third aspect of this is that this son is from God. It's not just a son from uh, an important line. It's not a son uh, who was born into the world who became a notable religious leader. 
This is a son who comes from our creator, from our judge, from our God, the one who wants to be our father. This is his son who has been sent into the world. Unto you a son is given. Given by who? Well, the one who's speaking this prophecy. God himself. What would you have God give you in exchange for this gift? Would you like to live for a few hundred years? Would you like to be the president of the United States? Would you like to be the richest man or woman in the world? Would you like perfect health or, you know, to be the the most beautiful person that's ever lived, the greatest athlete that's ever lived? What kind of a gift would you like? I can easily answer that question for myself. I want this gift. I want the gift of forgiveness. I want the gift of eternal life and eternal glory. I want a relationship with God, one that I didn't have before I was 25. It's really nice, isn't it, to buy gifts, and it's really nice to receive gifts, particularly if they've got a bit of chocolate around them. Just remember that. But... um, So let's not knock the chocolate. But at the same time, this gift, this gift is much more notable, much more significant, of greater weight than anything you're going to receive, whether you open your presents today or whether you open your presents tomorrow. You might get what you want, okay? And I hope you do. But I want to ask you, do you want what God has for you? Do you want God's present, his gift? That's only a question that you can answer. Is there something else you'd rather have than forgiveness of your sins? To become adopted into God's family, to be given the Holy Spirit, to be raised at the end of of, uh, this life, to go to heaven and to be part of the kingdom of God that lasts forever. Look at this the name of this son. He's wonderful. Do you know any any, uh, religious leader or any political leader in the world right now who's anything like wonderful? He's a counselor. That means he's wise. Do you know any religious leaders or politicians that are wise? Mighty God. He's not got just a God that you worship, but he's mighty to do his will. And even though 
You know, the, the clock face turns, and even though the world seems to be doing the same old thing and it's somewhat spiraling down the kitchen sink, when he comes, when the sun comes, he will bring his might with him, and that might will change this world. Everlasting Father, meaning like the father of America, the fathers of this nation, it's in that sense that it means that he will be the father of the new kingdom, the father of the new world. Prince of peace. Just that would do for me. Prince of Shalom, bringing wholeness, completeness, tranquility, joy, belonging, bringing it to your heart and to your mind as you walk and live in the world that's been made for you. You say, well, what's the connection? Well, this all comes with the Son. This all comes with the gift who comes from God. This is quite a gift. This is quite a contemplation, quite a meditation to have at this time of year or any time of year. I know we get busy. We've got all kinds of things that we're doing um, tomorrow. We're... um, kind of Christmas snuck up on us and we, we're kind of trying to chase it as it were to catch up with it maybe some of you are too but there's going to be time when I sit back and I've enjoyed a meal and I've enjoyed um, spending time with the family and everything but I am going to thank God for his gift Psalm 2, if I can just refer you to that really quickly, speaks about this son. This was written before Isaiah, so people would have connected this to Psalm 2. Verse 2 says, The kings of the earth, the rulers of the earth, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Messiah, his Christ. That's what the word is there. That's certainly true of the governments and the rulers of our world. They want to obliterate the name of Christ. The trouble is, when they take counsel together, it's a council of fools. It's a council with no power. It's a council that will come under judgment. Nothing is going to change the way things are going to be. You can't take counsel against the Almighty. That's silly. That's foolish. So verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And the Lord shall hold them in derision. In verse 6 it says, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, Zion in Jerusalem. 
I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That, of course, is speaking about Christ. And it says, ask of me and I will give you, Christ, the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. That's only right. I mean, we're told that everything was made through Christ and for Christ. God is invested in the kingdom to come. God is invested in not just what happened 2,000 years ago, as wonderful as that was, but he's invested in what this son means and what he will do in the future. In fact, that's where his eyes are looking. I'm wondering if that's where your eyes are looking. I'm wondering if you see in the gift of the son 2,000 years ago, you see the everlasting kingdom that this same son is going to bring about. And I wonder if you ask yourself, have I received the gift that makes me a citizen of that country? Have you? Are you still twiddling your thumbs? Are you still happy that it's Christmas and happy to be here, but you still have not confessed your sins to Christ You still have not received him as your savior. If you haven't, you have not accepted God's gift. You're still turning it away. You're still rejecting it. Are you going to turn any gifts away this Christmas? Even if you know it's a pair of of socks or, you know something that you'd rather not have, a jumper from grandma or whatever, you won't turn it down. Is there a gift that you're going to turn down this Christmas? Or have you already accepted that gift? Unto us a son is given. And the reply from each one of us has to be, and I have accepted that gift. Because there's nothing else that he can give that's greater than his own son. Jesus, you see, is the son of God. He's the son of God. He's not an angel. He's not a seraph or a cherub. He's way, way above any of those. They serve him. He is the eternal son of God. That's who God gave. That's what Christmas is about. And in in that light, the, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, what are they? They're nothing. They're paltry human symbols, returns on a God who certainly doesn't need them. 
And he doesn't really want them, although they symbolize something important, of course. God doesn't want your works. He doesn't want your good deeds. He doesn't want your uh, religious aspirations. He wants you. He wants you to receive his son. Unto us a child is born. He was. He was born approximately 5 BC, most experts say, 5, maybe 6 BC. We know that because Herod died in 4 BC. So he's come. The son has been given. He called himself the son of God. He called himself the son of man. When he died on the cross, the centurion in the gospel of Mark says, surely this is the son of God. Given, yes, on the cross, given by God to us. Let's pray. So gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in contemplation of your Son given to us and for us. As Paul says, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Nothing else measures up to it. We thank you for this Christmas time. We thank you for family. And Lord, I I repeat uh, the prayer of Steve, Lord, for those that may be on their own or this might be a difficult time of year for them, I pray that you draw close to them and draw close to them in your son. May they understand and realize fully, Lord, that this is a a gift given for them. And Lord, that makes us rejoice and it makes us hope. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. In the great scheme of things, if we've received that gift, we're good. And we have every cause to have a happy Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.